You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, Barbara Hale from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission returns to Civic to revisit the idea of public power. Several agencies around the state have made offers to buy out PG&E and manage distribution themselves. Santa Clara runs the Silicon Valley Power. The city of Palo Alto runs its own electric utility. The city of Alameda operates its own publicly owned utility. The city of Healdsburg operates its own publicly owned utility. What kind of company PG&E is as they emerge? Will they have the capacity to safely, reliably, affordably provide electric service in our communities? I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. After being found liable for billions of dollars in damages from devastating wildfires, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, PG&E, is bankrupt. San Francisco has responded by making an offer to buy its electrical grid from the company for $2.5 billion. But the company said no. Recently, a judge approved a nearly $25 billion settlement between PG&E and those affected by wildfires and their insurers. This means the utility can move forward with reorganization. Meanwhile, cities around Northern California are working to figure out how to take over the distribution of electricity, hoping to better serve residents. They accuse the utility of underinvestment in its infrastructure, mismanagement, and negligence. A coalition of city leaders and advocates made a statement earlier this month pushing for PG&E to be turned into a co-op. And several local governments, including rural ones around California, have made offers to buy PG&E's distribution systems. To better understand what's happening and how the situation could develop further, we're talking today with Barbara Hale. She's the Assistant General Manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's Power Enterprise. That's the San Francisco's municipal power utility. She also gives strategic advice on energy policy to the commission and acts as a liaison for the SFPUC with state and federal agencies. Barbara, welcome. Thank you. So first, let's talk a bit about where PG&E is at in its bankruptcy proceedings and what that means just generally, because Mayor Gavin Newsom has weighed in on this. He didn't oppose the settlement, which means PG&E can move forward with its reorganization, but he has opposed the reorganization plan that they've put forward. What does PG&E's reorganization mean for its future existence and for customers in general terms? So... um you know, I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer. I can I can tell you what I've learned through this experience and and sort of share a perspective. Uh, you know, PG&E filed for bankruptcy protection. That's what Chapter 11 uh, bankrupts the the Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing is all about is protecting PG&E from litigation, so that it can reorganize itself and uh, emerge as a financially sound organization. Uh, so it's basically sought protection against all of the claimants uh, that that have um, uh, expressed concerns and 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 are attributing to PG&E, you know, fault for uh, homes, property being burned down, uh, impacts that PG&E is being um, asked to to compensate them for, right? Uh, these are the fires from 2015, 17, uh, 18, now the Kincaid fire, which happened after the bankruptcy filing was made. Um, so within the bankruptcy proceeding, PG&E is basically uh, saying, let's pause on litigation so we can reorganize ourselves, meet these these claims that were outstanding prior to uh, having filed the bankruptcy, uh, filed for bankruptcy protection. Uh, and the plans are intended to meet those 
financial needs. I think the bigger issue that the state and certainly the city uh, of San Francisco and many other local jurisdictions are concerned about is what kind of company PG&E is as they emerge. Will they be in a? Will they have the capacity to safely, reliably, you know, affordably provide electric service in our communities? Um, you know, San Francisco's interest in this question predates PG&E's filing for bankruptcy, predates the power shutoffs and many of the things that have sort of brought the communities of folks together to say, hey, PG&E isn't the right partner in our community to uh, meet our needs. Uh, what motivated San Francisco was uh, a history of disputes prior to that. Yeah, well, San Francisco might have gotten rejected most recently when it offered to take over its own infrastructure, but the city does have experience in these areas. Um, you more or less run it. <laughs> San Francisco's municipal power utility has an operating budget of $150 million a year. You oversee the sales of 1.6 billion kilowatt hours a year, as well as purchases of energy, transmission, distribution services. And you also oversee the development and implementation of energy efficiency and renewable generation projects and programs and the maintenance and operation of city-owned streetlights, switch gears, and substations. How much of the city's power is provided by this municipal power utility? How big a deal is this? Yes, well, so for many decades, we've been providing service as a fully integrated, you know, uh, metering, billing, kilowatt hours, distribution, you know, the full transmission, all of those services that um, many of us at our homes receive from PG&E, the city and county of San Francisco provides those services directly to itself and has been for many, many decades. Uh, in more recent time, we've expanded those um, offerings to include areas of the city that have been redeveloped. So, you know, what kind of customers are we talking about? We're talking about everything from City Hall, which is so clearly a city facility, right? Uh, schools, libraries, um, the port, um, you know, when we say these kinds of properties, we're also including things like the ferry building. It's uh, it's a facility that's owned by the Port of San Francisco, uh, and it looks very much like a private uh, customer, right? Not a city, not a city customer, uh, but it's actually been receiving uh, electric service from the city and county of San Francisco for decades. Uh, so it's a it's a a mix of types of customers: residential through our housing authority service hospitals, uh, the water and wastewater treatment facilities, Rec and Park. So a pretty diverse type of customer base has been served by San Francisco in our publicly owned utility capacity for decades. It's about, right now, it's about 3,500 accounts. Uh, it's, it's 150 megawatts. It includes San Francisco International Airport, although it's not inside San Francisco. It's a city property. Uh, we are the power provider there. So, you know, when you're under the knife in the emergency room at San Francisco General Hospital, you have a very uh, reliable electric supply coming from the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, many of us have unknowingly been taking service from um, customers of, of the city. Uh, in May of 2016, we expanded our service offerings to include the Community Choice Aggregation Program, Clean Power SF. So we're also responsible for that service. Under state law... We serve those customers only the supply component of electric service. The, the metering, billing, transmission, distribution services continue to be provided by PG&E. So in that program, we serve supply to about 
380,000 accounts. Uh, so when you put these two different programs that we operate together, San Franciscans receive about 80% of the electricity consumed in the city from, from us, from the city and county, through our Public Utilities Commission activities. Wow. That's all of that supply is either 100% greenhouse gas free uh, or um, uh, far exceeds the state requirements for uh, renewable content. Uh, almost 50% of the electric supply in our CCA program comes from uh, California renewable resources. Uh, and if you've signed up for our 100% renewable uh, offering in that program, you're getting 100% of California-compliant renewable power. Briefly, where does that come from? Where is the power actually generated? So um, for our um, our publicly-owned utility program, the Hetch Hetchy program, the power is generated at our own facilities that we own and operate, uh, the Hetch Hetchy Water and Power System. Uh, and then for our Clean Power SF program, the CCA, we uh, purchase power from various renewable developers in California. Uh, they can be as nearby as Fairfield or as distant as, you know, with, uh, Mojave, California. You mentioned that this uh, San Francisco's interest in taking over its infrastructure predates all of this all these issues with PG&E's bankruptcy and liability and the and the public safety power shutoffs. What are some of the reasons why San Francisco is interested in taking over its infrastructure? Yeah, so in order to provide service to the city and county facilities through a publicly owned utility program, we've been paying PG&E for wholesale distribution service. That's a service that's regulated by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. PG&E has a tariff that it files there, a public tariff. Uh, under federal law, they have to provide open access to their distribution system. And the way they do that, the way they implement that, that federal law is through a tariff that describes the terms and conditions for that service. Uh, we have been in disputes with them for uh, over the um, access to that open, what's supposed to be open access to that d distribution system. So we've been having disputes with them over that, filed uh, complaints at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Um, what does that mean for the average resident? Uh, that means disputes where things like the um, the Balboa Pool rebuild was delayed in reopening because PG&E and the city were arguing about the, distri the distribution system connection, reconnection of that existing city facility to PG&E's grid. Oh, boy. There was a remodel. PG&E contests whether we're consuming more electricity than we had been and whether the equipment that's there is appropriate. Uh, under all typical good utility practice standards, the equipment that there is fine. They're arguing, they have been arguing that we need to build um, much larger pieces of equipment in order to connect to their grid and continue to access through that tariff distribution service. Uh, you know, the city pays PG&E the tariffed rate. It totals up to a little over $10 million a year for this service. Uh, we're not arguing about the rates we're paying. We're arguing about the actual physical infrastructure in the street and whether a building that's been or a facility that's been connected to the grid for a long time needs to change that connection just because we did a remodel, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. Randall Museum was another example. Um, I mentioned the, the pool. 
uh, bathroom at the end of the um, uh, end of the line on Van Ness for the uh, uh, for bus Muni? drivers for Muni uh-huh. was another example where the bathroom itself uh, was uh, like six times smaller than the f- the gear PG&E wanted us to attach to it. This is a facility that would that had a light bulb, a hand dryer. So and the, that's it. And that's it. Um, so it, it got pretty, it's, it's gotten pretty um, outrageous, pretty, pretty ridiculous, the kinds of um, disputes that we're having with PG&E, the kinds of um, uh, uh, requirements they're imposing on the city that aren't anywhere in their tariff. They're not following their own tariff. We've filed complaints at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, weren't really getting uh, anywhere there. Uh, the board of supervisors and the mayor were kind of like, tell us what the other options are. This isn't working. You know, using the regulatory tools isn't working to get reasonable service. What else can we do? And we were talking about uh, increasing the independence uh, from PG&E so that we could uh, control our own projects and the processes that it takes to improve city services. Uh, when PG&E noticed everyone, they were going to file for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So we were we were already... You know, looking at other options, and the and the mayor asked us in a formal way through a letter uh, to develop options and report to her, which we did um, in uh, in May of 2019. We issued a preliminary report on electric service options that identified uh, uh, acquisition of the facilities as as the best approach to achieve the city's goals. Well, now that PG&E has rejected the offer that the city made following that report, what would it take to take over San Francisco's power delivery system? I mean, aside from PG&E accepting a potential future offer, which I'm sure has to happen, what else needs to be done? It's not just a matter of buying it and it's it's over, right? Oh, yes. This is a, this is a complex undertaking. Uh, the city has um, hired experts and, and is evaluating what it would take to physically separate the system, uh, the system that the city would own from the system that PG&E would continue to own. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of engineering work that needs to happen there. Uh, we are um, uh, doing what we can to understand the condition of the system that we'd be purchasing. Uh, we'll need to do more work on that if, uh, if and when we get to a, a cooperative arrangement with PG&E to take a, a look at uh, really physically look at the assets. Right now, we've, we've done what we can with publicly available records. Uh, so uh, there's those sort of preliminary steps that need to happen on the planning end. Uh, and then, of course, we have to staff up and uh, prepare ourselves be, to be uh, you know, operationally ready. And so we're working uh, with consultants to help us understand what further we need to do to be in a, in a good operational state. One of the key issues for a successful uh, operation of a utility is a skilled and able workforce performing uh, the the work that's needed, right? Uh, and so we are also looking at um, how we can be an attractive employer to uh, the workforce that's currently uh, responsible for those facilities. You know, to the 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 unionized workforce at at PG&E, the engineers, the um, uh, um, line workers, uh, you know, everybody who's who's touching the system and doing the, the planning and, and work associated with the system here in San Francisco with the, the right skills to, to do that job would be attractive uh, to bring on to the team. 
that would then continue to operate it after, uh, after we acquire the facilities from PG&E. We've been talking with Barbara Hale from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. When we come back, we'll hear about the proposal from cities around California to create a utility co-op. You've been listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. The San Francisco Public Press and KSFP rely on support from readers and listeners like you. That's why we're excited to participate in Newsmatch, a national collaboration of journalism funders. Newsmatch will double donations from individuals to the public press through the end of the year. Your pledge will support independent, diverse local perspectives and investigative reporting. Visit sfpublicpress.org donate. This is KSFP LP San Francisco. Welcome back to Civic. Let's hear more from Barbara Hale, Assistant General Manager for the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's Power Enterprise. So while all this is happening, there's this growing number of voices calling for a takeover of PG&E entirely and turning it into a nonprofit co-op. Supporters say they have the endorsements of more than 100 elected leaders from 58 cities and 10 counties. PG&E says this proposal wouldn't work, wouldn't serve the best interests of customers. And part of the purpose of this seems to be to remove the profit motive from the delivery of power. How significant a shift do you think that would be in terms of what customers could expect? Oh, I think it would be quite significant. I, you know, certainly, you know, public ownership like San Francisco is proposing changes who's making the decisions. It changes the ability of residents to influence who's making those decisions, right? Uh, you just go to City Hall if you have a problem with a utility service, and it's a publicly owned utility. Here in San Francisco, you'd go to City Hall, you'd go to the Public Utilities Commission. There are venues where you can just speak your mind and influence outcomes. You don't like what your elected leaders are doing, you vote them out, put in a new slate, right? Yeah, so it would be accountable to the public rather than to anybody else. That's right. It's not a shareholder that, that is looming over you, you know, ever present in your mind. It's it's your neighbors and, and colleagues, right? It's the, it's the folks you bump into in the grocery store who can give you a piece of their mind about the work you're doing. Uh, very much more accountable system. The co-op idea is trying to drive at that same, that same accountability. Uh, the challenge with the co-op idea is um, it's not, it's not clear who the board would be and whether the accountability while I think it would be definitely would be improved, it's not quite the same as just being able to go down to City Hall. Um, I think the uh, there's a lot of alignment between what the city is trying to do with uh, public ownership and what the uh, various communities that are supporting the, the co-op proposal are trying to do. Shift accountability, ensure that uh, there's more local voice in the operation of, of this essential service Supporters say that this kind of a co-op, this nonprofit, would be dedicated to something they're calling geographic equity. And that's apparently in response to fears that urban areas might leave more rural areas where it's more difficult to deliver power hanging. San Francisco's power infrastructure, as I understand it, is a moneymaker. Rural delivery is more of a financial drain. How big an obstacle, in your opinion, would geographic diversity of needs be to such a co-op plan? I think, you know, while San Francisco has a plan that takes care of San Francisco, we're also concerned about what it means to the rest of Northern California service territory of PG&E. We want to see a vibrant Northern California. 
And I think the impacts to ratepayers of San Francisco leaving, given the numbers that we've seen that are publicly available, would be very modest. A couple cents on the on, on the electric bill to remaining customers. The fact that our offer price uh, exceeds the book value of the facilities uh, as we've offered it in this bankruptcy context means that there's dollars on the table to help take care of that discrepancy. Uh, San Francisco would continue to pay for uh, transmission service. Much of the increased wildfire mitigation work that needs to be done uh, would be happening on that transmission system. We'd continue to be paying for that. Uh, so it's it's not an effort by San Francisco to get out of paying its fair share. And uh, we're anxious to work with PG&E to understand really what the impacts are on, on other rate payers. As I said, we've done what we can with publicly available information. Um, you know, the, the PG&E system in San Francisco, an underground system, a, um, a network system is a very complex system. It's not a cheap system to operate. And I would challenge those who say that it's it's really expensive and not affordable to have um, smaller utilities in rural areas. Uh, we have those already in California. Um, 25% of Californians are served by a publicly owned utility. Most of those utilities are not large. Uh, there's an exception, LADWP, you know, the largest publicly owned utility in, in the nation is in California. Um, that doesn't sound rural, though. Not, not at all, but mm-hmm. that's the exception. Yeah. Most of the utilities are, are considerably smaller. Mm-hmm. Redding, the city of Palo Alto, Alameda, um, you know, right here, in, right here in the Bay Area, uh, the greater Bay Area, are um, a number of small publicly owned utilities that have been operating successfully for, for decades. Santa, uh, Santa Clara runs the Silicon Valley Power. Uh, the, town, the city of Palo Alto runs its own electric utility. The city of Alameda, the city of Healdsburg, operates its own publicly owned utility. They're out there. People just, they don't have a really high profile like PG&E, <laughs> but they've been successfully operating for decades in California. So it's not, I, I would challenge the 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 view that it's it's really expensive to serve rural California, and that's why PG&E has to have, you know, this ver- really big footprint that includes urban areas. Mm-hmm. I, you can operate a utility very effectively with with rates that are more affordable than the rates PG&E customers are paying, and it's happening in California already. Can you do that even if it's a big co-op that covers a large geographic area? I, I think you can. You know, it's not really a, a well-understood model. Most co-ops that exist in the United States aren't that large. Uh, and so that's, that is a, it's a fair question to ask. Uh, and I think uh, the proponents are figuring out whether um, such a co-op could be financed and could operate successfully. Let's break away from the interview for a moment because we should note here that on December 13th, four different local utility agencies sent a letter to the CPUC reminding them of their recent offers to buy out PG&E and create public power systems. So it wasn't just San Francisco that's offered to buy out PG&E. The Nevada Irrigation District, the South San Joaquin Irrigation District, and Valley Clean Energy have all made offers, and they represent some quite rural areas. Here's what they wrote jointly to the California Public Utilities Commission. Quote, The commission is currently considering two proposed plans of reorganization in its proceeding, 
We all strongly support fair and adequate compensation of fire victims. However, neither of the plans addresses the recurring systemic problems with PG&E's corporate structure and culture that have resulted in devastating wildfires, disastrous power shutoffs, repeated bankruptcies, multiple felony convictions, escalating costs, and loss of public trust. Bigger change is needed, and the commission should be engaging stakeholders in proposals like ours that move California in that direction. End quote. Later on, they also add, quote, distribution grids are by their nature local, each with distinct characteristics and needs. Local governance and accountability is better positioned to plan and implement modernization of these local distribution grids, end quote. Okay, now back to my conversation with Barbara Hale. So PG&E, again, I keep coming back to this, has rejected San Francisco's offer. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't sound like they're terribly keen on the idea of being turned into a co-op. What um, what arguments can San Francisco make or can advocates for this co-op make at this point? I mean, it sort of seems like PG&E is a private company and can make its own decisions about what to do, what not to do, what to sell, what not to sell. Mm-hmm. So what is next in terms of this conversation? Where does the conversation go next? Well, I think the you know to the point of what kind of arguments can, can folks make, I think, the, frankly, I think the, the letter that Governor Newsom sent uh, last Friday, December 13th, in response to uh, to PG&E's latest activities in the bankruptcy proceeding is a great roadmap. It talks about the need for um, a qualified and independent oversight. It talks about the need for operational and safety metrics. It talks about the need for uh, an enforcement process to ensure that those operational and safety metrics are met. Those same things are true whoever whoever's operating right whether it's publicly owned co-op owned privately owned these are goals that this that the state should have for safe and affordable reliable electric service uh and and really pg&e has demonstrated that it it hasn't met that standard for for california it hasn't made steps so far to meet those standards in a post-bankruptcy world uh, so I, I think holding our elected officials accountable to driving towards that out those outcomes uh, is is an important part of seeing um, a different a different electric service provision for California for San Francisco. Final thoughts before I let you go. I want to give you a chance to talk about anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to say. I think it's important to. Um, uh, have have the decision makers be doing the math on these different options, making sure that um, the entity that's operating is uh, proposing a structure that they know is financially feasible and 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 situates the um, the service provision well for weathering whatever events come up next. We all know that that there's that climate change is changing the way these essential services are provided and um, changing sort of the risk profile of, of the, the business. Uh, we want to make sure that whoever owns and operates these different s- systems uh, in a post-bankruptcy world has the financial wherewithal to, um, to meet those new challenges as they come. I think San Francisco's proposal does that. San Francisco's proposal does that for the city. Uh, it also makes a contribution to PG&E to help it do that for um, uh, the post-bankruptcy PG&E, whether it's under, operated under a co-op or operated under its for-profit structure today. Uh, and I think uh, as, the, 
as the the state looks at the proposals that PG&E is putting forward to emerge from bankruptcy, it needs to ensure that that uh, PG&E is meeting that standard as well, that financial health standard. Well, Barbara, thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Barbara Hale. She's Assistant General Manager for the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, overseeing the commission's power enterprise. You can learn more about the case for and against public power by reading the public press's story, Power Switch, SF Builds Case for Pushing Out PG&E. You can also listen to a previous edition of Civic, Power Grid, Barbara Hale on San Francisco's bid to buy out PG&E. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is a production of the San Francisco Public Press, sfpublicpress.org. Your host is Laura Wenis, producer and contributor Mel Baker. The publisher of the San Francisco Public Press is Lila LaHood, executive director Michael Stoll, interim managing editor Noah Arroyo, director of membership and community Daphne Magnawa. Civic is aired on KSFP LP San Francisco, a low-power FM radio station at 102.5 FM. Thanks for listening.